Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Authentic, a study on the book of James. All right. There are, there are certain things in life that it's just as if they were created for one another. I mean, they're fine on their own, right? I mean, they're, they're fine. They work. But when they are with this other thing, it's almost as if, man, they were made for one another. For instance, if I say peanut butter, jelly, right? Okay. Of course, they're made. Peanut butter is good, but peanut butter and now, some of you, this is where you're going to learn a lot about your church members here. You're going to learn, some of them are weird, just so you know. So they're going to say things like, that. chocolate's good, peanut butter and jelly, come on. How about Bert and, Bert. okay, good, yes. That, for those of you under 20, that was a cartoon or a show that we used to watch called Sesame Street, um, right? So this might be a little bit, how about Chips and, Dale. see, Chips and Dale? Somebody said, wow, that's, you know, okay. <laughs> Woo, all right. How about... How about we'll say Mexican and salsa? How about we'll say with salsa there? Right? Maybe, maybe uh, something else. How about peas and carrots? Okay. Or there you go. There you go, Forrest. How about this one? This is, this is one made for each other Oreo cookies and milk. Oh, yeah. Just think about that for a minute. All right? Or this one might confuse This This is maybe my personal one F- French fries. It's all over. See, this is, see, for me, French fries and milkshakes, okay? That's just the, you dip it, oh, salt and sweet together make great. But it's as if those things are made for one another. And we're coming to a text of scripture today in this series we've been in in James, where, where James is going to identify two things for the Christian that were meant to be together. And, and we've been talking about what authentic faith looks like. The book of James is, talks about, this is what authentic faith looks like when it's lived out. And these two things in our lives, this shows authentic faith. Okay, just a quick review where we've been. James is the brother of Jesus, half-brother. He was a skeptic of his brother for one time. He thought he was crazy. He didn't believe in him. But everything changed at the resurrection. He becomes a follower and a worshiper of his brother. He believes that his brother is the Messiah, that he is the the God of the Old Testament, the, the great I am. And he now is writing to these people who have been dispersed throughout the Middle East, because of their faith in, in his brother. And there's persecution, and there's all sorts of economic struggles, and they've been kicked out of synagogues, and they've been kicked out of land, and all these things, because of their faith. And he's writing to encourage them in the midst of this to say, hey, don't just blend in. Now, you're all over the place. I know it's hard. Don't just blend in. Let's live out this faith. Let, let's, make it, let's let it be seen. Let's let it be authentic. And he started, and we looked at it for two weeks, just kind of just throwing it out there. Hey, life's hard. We know it. But in the midst of that, God's doing something. God is good, so we can consider it joy. Well, what we see today in James is he's going to switch gears a little bit. Um, And he's going to talk about two things. This is our PB&J. This is our Oreos and milk that you and I were created for. These two things. For these two things to be true about your life, this is what what God desires in us if there's going to be authentic. And we're going to see that he learned it from his big brother, all right? So we're gonna be in James chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 19 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. There's one under the seat in front of you. We're on page 654 there. If you do and you're still like, this James book is so small, I can't find it. That's okay. Just because the guy next to you is like the 
sword drill champion when he was 12 years old. He flips right to James. Some of you are like, sword drill, what's that? That shows how old you are right there, okay? But it's okay if you don't know where it is. Use the glossary. The more familiar you get with the Bible, the more familiar you'll know where things are, okay? So don't feel bad just because you can't find James. It's probably two pages in your Bible, all right? But we're going to be in James 1, 19 to 25, all right? Let me read our text in its entirety, and we'll come back and we'll unpack it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and, once he, and, once, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right. There's two things he identifies here, two big things that he wants true of us. But before we get to that, before we get to the Oreos and cookie, Oreo cookies and milk, the PB&J, I want you to see how he opens this up real quick. Because he says something that I think is essential before we move on. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Right? Or you could put sisters in there. He stops to remind them of something right up front, that we are beloved or beloved. Very popular word in the scripture. It simply means someone who is dearly loved or or highly prized. It's used, the father uses it of his son. Paul uses it of these churches. We use it of one another in the New Testament, of of brothers and sisters. It's this special prized relationship. And what, right up front, before we jump into these two things, James reminds these folks is this God who we've been talking about, who is good, who gives good things, who gives perfect things, who gives wisdom when you ask of it, who is doing something in your suffering, who helps you grow and makes you strong and who gives rewards, you are his beloved, right? You are his special prize. And it's a reminder for us that the only reason any of you in this room follow Jesus Christ is because he first loved you. Because he first loved you. If you're here and you're not a Christian this morning and you have this kind of weird view of Christianity, which is probably earned partially, you need to understand this. The Christians are not a bunch of good people who do good things, who go to church and have a checklist. Church, church, sing, church. That's not who we are, not biblically. Who we are is a bunch of people who are sinners, wretched, can't do anything to get to God. So Jesus Christ leaves heaven, becomes a man, dies on a cross as our substitute for our sins and rises again, declaring himself to be God. And we just understand that, that he took our place, that he took our sin. That's what Christians are. We're not a bunch of good people. If anything, we're, we're not. And we admit that we're not. And we understand that everything start and began with him. He first loved us. It's about his call. It's about his choice. It's about his finished work. And so that, that's where we're at. And we are his beloved. And, and it starts there. And this is what separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world, where all the other try to do things to get to God, where in Christianity, God comes to us and does everything. And it's not based on our performance. His, us being his beloved is not based on that. Think about my beloved, my Sarah, 
My four children, Sam, Susu, Seth, and Tripp, they are my beloved. If I said to my wife, I love you only when it's a great meal. Sam, I, I only love you when your room is clean. Susu, when you get B plus or higher. Seth and Tripp, when you fill in the blank. What I'm saying there is, I don't really love you, but I could. Kind of depends on you, right? But that's, that's not the concept behind beloved. This, this concept is that he is devoted and he is affectionate and he is committed. He, we are his beloved. We cannot earn it. We cannot unlose it based on our performance. And so before we move on into these two things, I think it's essential that you understand, church, that you are his beloved. Because all, these two things are not always gonna be present in your life, let's be honest. You're gonna fail. But even when you do, the fact that you are his beloved fail. And this is great encouragement because some of you had a really bad morning, right? The dog ran away. Some husband was sitting on his horn. We're late. Missed the first song again. Sitting in the overflow again, right? Some of you didn't have a good, admit it. Some of you did not exactly have a monumental spiritual week this week. You're still his beloved. Some of you are here thinking, if these people who I shook their hands this morning knew who I was really, knew what I've done, knew where I've been, knew what I was thinking, they wouldn't shake my hand, right? But if, if you are a follower of Christ, you are beloved. And even if you're not, God is not trying to, to catch you in the middle of your sin. He wants to deliver you from your sin. So if you're not a follower of him, he's not here to, oh, you know, you look at these good people around you. He's here to no, look at these broken people who are just as broke as you. They just trusted me. So it's, it's essential that we start there for the people of God because this, is a, this should motivate us. This should drive us to these two things. And it should encourage us when we fail. So it says, know this. Right up front, know this, my beloved brothers. And then he jumps in. Know what? Let every person be Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's a bunch of little imperatives there, right? All these little commands. But they're really all linked to the last command at the end there. And that last command is, is to receive with meekness the implanted word. To receive the word. And he calls it the implanted word because it's already there. All right, this is something that's already there. So it's, some people say, oh, he's talking about conversion. He can't be talking about conversion. He's calling them his beloved. Secondly, he's writing to believers. Thirdly, he said this, the word, whatever it is, is implanted already in you. All right, so we're talking to Christians here. He says, I want you to receive the word. And commentaries are all over the place. But in the end, most agree that general application, what he's talking about here, is the word of God. Okay, now for James, James is the first chronological New Testament book. So there is no Romans, Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, Mark, John. There are none of those things. So the word for him is not only the teachings of Christ, but the Old Testament, which is very familiar to him. Especially, I think, a passage like Jeremiah, where it says that, that God wrote on, he's going to write on their hearts his word. He's gonna give them a new spirit. And he's gonna put his word in their heart. And I think that rings true here. This idea where that God has given you his word and he's, he's written it on your heart as he made you a new creature. And so the first, the PB here, the Oreo cookie here, the Bert here, the peas here, the French fries here, is that what he wants these people to do is to be hearers of the word of God. 
Now he's gonna use that phrase in the next paragraph down. He says, receive, some of your translations say welcome, some say accept, but the idea is he wants us to be hearers of the word, right? He wants us to welcome his truth. He put his, his life-changing word at the center of who you are so that it would grow, so that there'd be fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all those things, and then that you would take it out into there and be fruit. <laughs> Two things right up front. He's given us his life-changing love and his life-changing word, and he wants you to hear. But here's what he knows. He knows that there's things that keep us from hearing, keep, keep us from welcoming Right? It's as if he understands exactly where we're at. And here's the thing. If you go out, let's say some of you may be gardeners. Not today because there's frost on the ground or it's cold. And I'm not a gardener. Like my gardening is watering. That's all I do. But let's say you're, you want to plant a garden because you want there to be fruit and you want there to be growth or you want to plant a tree or whatever it is. Most of you don't just go out and kind of throw the seeds. Right? Just dig a hole and plant a tree right in the middle. Maybe you do. And maybe that's why you're not really a gardener. Okay? <laughs> But what most of you do is you dig a little place and you put a little wall and you, you remove all the weeds and all the stuff that's in it. If you're really like hyper gardener guy, you check the pH of the soil and you might even put some fertilizer. You go to the extreme. Why? Because you want there to be growth. You want there to be fruit. You want there to be uh, just something happening. And you don't want, and you want anything to hinder it. And what James is going to tell us, is, here's some things to help growth. God has put his word in your heart. And he wants there to be fruit. And here, here's some things to help there to be fruit. Here's some things to help you to be a hearer of the word. And he gives us five things. And he kind of just boom, 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 boom. He starts in verse 15. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. First thing, you want to be a hearer? Then you need to be quick to hear. Or what I say, a good listener. Hearers are good listeners. And, and I like the idea of, he says, quick Quick to do something, anxious to do something, fast to do something. To do what? To listen. All right, if it makes sense, if you're going to be a hearer, that you need to be a listen. Are you a good listener? If you respond, what would you say? No, then you're not. Right? How many times does that happen? This week, I, my wife's trying to talk to me, and I'm on the ground wrestling with Milton, the dog. And she's like, she's talking to me. She's like, you're not listening to me. I'm like, I am listening. I can hear everything you're saying. But you're not, because you're growling and wrestling and things. And there's a distraction there. If you're going to be a hearer, you cannot be, and you say, I'm listening, but you're doing 16 things at once, you're really not. If you're timed, okay, God, you have, you have 90 seconds to speak to me. I got my coffee in this hand. I'm driving in this hand. I got my GPS over here. I'm trying to get kids out. You got 90 seconds. If that's your concept of hearing, then, then you're not listening. I think right up front, it's necessary to ask do you, do you have a time where you listen, that you, you set aside that there's no distractions? And I'm hard, this is hard for me. I'm an ADD guy. I've got 17 things going on. Well, there's no distractions where you listen. Right up front, right? You've got to be a good listener, right? Second thing he says, know this, my beloved, brothers, let every person be quick to hear and then slow to speak, Right, now, first you wanted quick, quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to hear. Now he says, slow to speak, right? What I say, slow to talk, so I had to change it something just to make it a sermon, right? I can't use the same words. So slow to speak, um, that you're slow with your mouth. If you're the guy that's always thinking, they need my input, they need how, I, if I was coaching this team, I would do it like this, so I'm gonna email the coach. 
Or if I was running the show, I would do it like this. If I was painting the room, I would paint it this color. If you're that person, it's always as soon as, oh, you got to have last word, you got to talk, got to say, he's talking to you, right? Slow to speak, slow to tweet, slow to Facebook status and blog, all right? Slow to say what you're thinking, right? If I, I have good, some good construction, constructive criticism from you, or if you're the person that's always hearing the sermon for that person and sending the, you gotta hear this sermon, this is for you, right? <laughs> slow to speak. Husbands, I know that you know everything your wife needs to know. I know it, because I'm a husband, all right? But she doesn't wanna know it. She just wants to talk sometimes, all right? And she doesn't want solutions. She wants just listening. Because at the end of the, okay, I'm like, okay, these are the three things. No, I don't really want to hear what you're going to say. I just wanted you to listen. Okay, got it. Right? Ladies, your husband knows everything he does wrong already. I promise. He probably doesn't need you to remind him seven times. Right? Young folks, teenagers, I know you think you know how everything works. You don't. 23-year-old, I know you're like, I know how it works. I got this marriage kid thing. These people don't know what they're doing. Slow to speak and listen, right? These things go together. Because if you're always talking and you're always thinking what's next to say, what are you not doing? You're not listening. You're not ready to hear what God may be saying to you, right? Next one. Know this. How do we hear? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and then slow. Again, there's something that's slow to, slow to anger, right? Don't have a short fuse. I say long-suffering is just kind of a good idea here. Because what happens in churches like this one, a lot of Christians, a lot have been here, been here, and you've been Christian for a long time, you lose it, and then here's what we say, well, it's all right for me to be mad because Jesus got mad, right? Jesus got angry, so I can get angry too. That's, that's our excuse. How many have used that line before, right? This is a righteous anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting in the scripture that when God describes himself in one of the most frequently quoted verses of the Old Testament, this is how God describes himself. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, God, merciful and gracious, he's slow to anger. So next time you think, I'm being like Jesus, I'm getting angry. When he describes himself, this, in this context here in Exodus 34, Moses has said, I want to see you. I want to see, and God says, like, you can't see me. Nobody has seen me and lives, but I'll kind of let you see my afterglow. And when he walks by Moses and covers his face, he pronounces this about himself. I am a merciful and gracious and slow to anger. So Christ's likeness is slow to anger. Right? And, he, and he tells us back in verse 20 why. He says, for... Why, why should you be slow to anger? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You think you may be doing something good here? This doesn't, nothing good comes from this anger. In fact, if anything, we learn from Ephesians that it gives the devil what, an opportunity. So that lambasting that person or losing the temper or that slow kind of let it simmer kind of anger. So that just produces, that gives the devil an opportunity. And the reason why is this, when you're so mad, what's, what's really the issue? Something has inconvenienced you. You are stuck on Duran because Georgia cannot, people cannot drive, right? Light green means green, go, right? You're just mad and mad, mad about that. Or the kid spilled the milk again and don't you know that you're not supposed to use that type of cup? And you gotta clean it up now. And now my husband's 30 minutes late because of this. What really is at the core of that is, is me. 
And when you're thinking me, you're not listening for you. You're thinking why it's unfair, why it's not like this. You're not being taught. And you're not remembering that what God says is, what does he desire from us? That we would love mercy, do kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And so it's all about me, me, me. You're not listening. So he says, no, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Next one. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says, you gotta put something away. Where they word it is, you seek purity. Here is seek purity. And I don't really need to define for you wickedness and filth, I don't think. Right? But the idea here is he says all. All. There's no moderation of filth. There's no moderation of wickedness. Right? We had the mighty snowstorm again this week that some of you kids went to school late. It was a mighty snowstorm on Wednesday. Um, yeah, I think it was cloudy with a chance of humidity or something. <laughs> so everyone gets late. But the, the result is, in, in the field that's next to us, it's all mud. Right? It's just muddy. So the kids go out and play, and Milton goes out and play, and Daddy goes out and play. And when we come in the house, my wife will immediately, take off the shoes, you know? And so take them both off. Take off everything. So the kids. Now, what if my, one, my, my children say, well, Mom, I took off one shoe. Is that okay? No, the idea is I don't want this filth in my house. Take them both off. Get them off. Honey, you were digging. Take off your shirt. Now, I know my wife wants to see me shirtless. I get that. I'm like, honey, you don't need me to be dirty. Right? I'll just take it all, right? But the idea is I don't want any filth in this house. And that's the mentality here. It's actually the image of taking off clothes. Take it off. Get it out. It's filth, it's poison. And your little garden, what happens if you, oh, just a little roundup. A little roundup will make this thing go great. What's gonna happen? It's gonna kill it. And it's the same mentality. It's just, me and my boyfriend, we haven't gone all the way. It's, it's not such, it's just a little, it's not. It's just, I know, it's just 50 shades, but everyone's reading it. I just need to know what's out there in the culture. Right? I don't listen to the words, but I like the beat. Love the beat. <laughs> right? Great music. Okay? Little filth. Just a little bit. Right? And he says, get rid of it all. You like the beat? Little Mandiza. She'll, she'll do it for you. Right? You ladies, you got to get your concert again. She's coming home. Right? Little Toby Mac, you want to beat? Little Lecrae? The point is, what does Paul say? Whatever is true and good and excellent Think on these things, all right? Some of you need to close the social media down. You can't handle it. You're starting to chat all that. I, I used to date him in high school. It's just a little Facebook post, boop, little filth, right? Just a little bit. Pursue that which is good. If you pursue that which is good and that which is excellent, do you think you will be a hearer when God speaks? I can guarantee you will. Hearers, slow to speak. Hearers, listen, Right? Hearers are long-suffering. Hearers are seeking purity. And one more thing. He says this. And then receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness. And, and this, there's no good one word to summarize this word in the Greek. It's translated all different ways, all else. But the way I translate it is just hum, humble. Hearers are humble. There's humility. 
This is the same word that Jesus uses when he describes himself, when he says, I am lowly and I am gentle. Right, it's that word for gentleness there. It's really the opposite of stubborn is, is kind of the idea. Right? It's a, I think probably a great example of, it, of is David in the Old Testament when he is confronted by Nathan for his sin of, of murder and adultery, and there's just a humility, and he admits what he's done, his teachableness. If you're going to be a hearer, you've got to be teachable. Because if you come in thinking, I've been married 28 years, what are they going to teach me? I've raised three kids. All of them went to college. What can I learn about this? I, I've taught James in Bible study. I've read all, I've read Moo, I've read all these. What are you going to teach me on James? I kind of know every issue. See, that kind of heart is, is might, as well be, might as well be round up. I remember when I went to seminary, I showed up at seminary, I was so arrogant. I thought, this is just a hoop I got to jump through to get a job. Because what are these guys going to teach me? I mean, they got PhDs, what does that mean? I, I was a PE major, don't they know? I mean, come on. <laughs> right? And I was working on a church staff, and the guys were sharp. I mean, they were so sharp. They knew the Greek, the Hebrew, the theology. I could just mention a passage. They knew where it was. And I would get up and preach a sermon, and they would listen and give great encouragement. I'm thinking, looking back now, I was just such an arrogant punk. And they were so smart and wise compared to me, but yet they were just humble, right? And, and the older we get in the faith, there should be more humility, not less. Hearers are, are humble, right? If you're like me and you read those five, you're thinking, man, I got some work. Like four of the five resonate, and five and five on a, on a bad day. But that's, that's the PB, that's the Oreo, that's the Bert, that's the peas, is hearing the word. How do we hear? We're good listeners. We're slow to speak. We're, we're long-suffering because we're not always thinking about ourselves. We're seeking purity and there's humility. That provides good fertile ground for the word of God, which is implanted to grow in us. But that's just the first half. Because those Oreos, they need some milk, right? That, those peas, they need some carrot. Those, that peanut butter needs some jelly. And so he goes on in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And, and I love that word only. It's not that hearing is bad. Hearing is necessary. Hearing is important. Hearing is good. But not if it stays there. It's not only hearing. What's the milk? What's the jelly? What's the salsa? What's the milkshake? What's the Ernie? It's doing the word. Hearing and doing being doers of God's word. And where again did he learn this? Where did he hear this before? From his brother, who said, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. And we've said it before, and we've probably quoted it more recently than anything, but why are we being given the word? The word of God is inspired, and it's profitable to teach, correct, train, all these things. Why? So that the man and women of God may be adequate for good works. It's not to make you smarter. It's so that you will follow it, what does Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? Right? So it's not to make you smarter, it's to equip you for good works. There's a constant discussion in the Fowler household, especially with the younger two who share a room. And, and they're, you know, their room, I love Star Wars uh, and, and I love the trash compactor scene. I just don't like it in my house. 
but sometimes their room, I feel like I'm Han Solo. And I'm like, where's this big snake thing under here? Because I can't find anything. And so I'll tell them, guys, I, when I come home from work, I want all the clothes in the hamper. I want all the Legos in the box. I want all the Lincoln Logs over here. I want all the crafts over here. I want all the books on the shelf. I want all these things done. If there's any small children you find left over, just send them downstairs, okay? <laughs> but I want all those things done. You understand? Yes, Daddy, we understand. Great. Right? Come home. Go upstairs. I feel like Han Solo still. I'm like, guys, did you not hear what I said? Yes, Daddy, we heard. <laughs> and we loved what you had to say. <laughs> In fact, it was so good, we wrote it down. And when Mommy did school today, we memorized it. In Spanish. And she was teaching on nouns today, and so we identified all the nouns in the sentence. And that prepositional phrase that we learned about, you said clean under the bed, under that is a prepositional phrase. Did you know that? And so we learned about, and we studied about beds. We looked up bed in the dictionary, and bed, there's five different meanings of the word bed. Dad, did you know that? And we looked at all, looked at all the different kinds of beds in the world, and we studied the cultures of beds, Right? And, I, and we thought it was so cool, Dad, I thought I'd start a blog, a blog on why we should clean our room. And Seth wrote a song, and he's going to sing it in church on Sunday, and Tripp's going to teach it in Sunday school in his little class for first graders. We are pumped about cleaning our room, Dad. But yet, I still feel like Han Solo. But you get the idea, right? What good is it? if you haven't done it? What good is it if you know that your wife's favorite thing is getting a mani and pedi and her favorite flowers are daisies and she likes that restaurant and yet you never do any of those things? Well, I know my wife's favorite restaurant. Isn't it great? Have you gone there recently? What, what good is it? What good is it to talk forgiveness and expiation and justification and propitiation if you still are holding a grudge against your dad? If you're still not forgiving your neighbor for not returning your lawnmower, what good are those things? What good is it that I know the story of the Good Samaritan so well? It's a great story. Love that story. Bring the tears. What good is that for you if the guys in your neighborhood are inviting you over for dinner for a barbecue, but you're so busy with church stuff that you don't even go? What good is it? What good? We're going to find out in chapter two it's no good at all. Right? And the solution, church, is not, just listen to me, and I'm not saying this is bad, but the solution is always, well, we need more Bible study. We need more services. We need a Sunday night. We need a Wednesday night. We need a Thursday afternoon. We need all these things. More, more, more Bible study. More. No, the answer is not always another service or another sermon or another podcast. Sometimes the answer is just doing what you know, even if it's just a little bit. It's just doing the little things that you know. Because if not, what does he say? Doers of the word and not hearers. If you're just a hearer, you are deceiving yourself. And it's in the middle voice there, and it's even emphatic. You are deceiving yourself. You're not deceived by a friend. You're not deceived by your parent. You're not deceived by a, parent, a teacher. You're not deceived by the devil. You are deceived by you. And self-deception is the worst kind because you don't see it. It's the 48-year-old guy who's looking in the mirror. Honey. This shirt looks good on me, doesn't it? 
right? And it's like the buttons are popping. It's like, I look like I did in high school. I could play football again, honey. What that guy needs is his wife to say, no. <laughs> you are deceived. You are blind, right? And then in loving honesty, honey, I love you. You're cute, but no, you're not wearing that shirt. We're giving that to goodwill. Because he's deceived. He can't see. And it's so easy. Look what I know. Look what I've heard. It was a great podcast. I went to a great conference. I read this great book. Great. What has it done for your life? Nothing. Deceived. And he gives a great example. I mean, you don't even need to explain it. Verse 24. Or verse 23. For anyone is a hearer of the word. Oh, sorry. There's not self-deceived. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man. And he uses the Greek word man, not just anthropos, general. I think that's interesting. I don't know if there's, he's taking a jab at men here, but, but he says he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's kind of a manly thing to do. I don't look in the mirror a lot, as you probably can notice. All right? But before I come down here, I do. I actually make sure my mic is kind of, there's no wires hanging out. I make sure I got a gig line. Some of you are like, what's that? Some of you are like, hoorah. I mean, you know, military guys. But I, I make sure that I'm somewhat moderately neat. But I don't, I don't spend a lot of time. But how foolish if I came down and walking down the stairs would think, as soon as I look at that little mirror and think, what am I doing as a pastor? I, I should be playing in the NFL. I mean, I'm 6'5", 260, run about a 440, you know, four. You know, four or five, whatever. You'd be like, raw, that's a bad mirror. Or you're just crazy. But that's the idea here. How silly is that? How silly is it for you to look in the mirror and then as soon as you leave, forget. He said, that's the guy who leaves the Bible study, who leaves the book, who leaves the sermon, who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. That's how silly it is. He forgets. It's like, what? It's the same person that says, you know, I, we... I just, we just need to take care of our bodies better. We're, we're not taking care of, of our physical bodies. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's do better about that. What do you want to go to lunch, honey? Let's go to the all-you-can-eat buffet, right? It, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's a person that knows that the way they dress could be a stumbling block for others, and, and, and they know that, that, that the way guys look at girls is, is this, and so they know that, but, then, but it's such a cute little dress, and it's on sale. I know it's a little iffy. What good is it? Right? Or it's the dad that says, I know I need to spend time with my kids. I need to spend time with my wife more. This 70-hour-a-week stuff is killing me. But, well, I'll do it next fall. Maybe when, we get, maybe when I get the promotion. Then I can kind of, you know, do it. Or I know, and some of you here, this is you. I know I need to get into community. I've been coming for six months, and I'm kind of in and out the door. I know I need to do it, but, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it when we get in the new building. Yeah, that'll be a good time. Right? I'll do it then. Right? I need to stop worrying. I know it's bad for my health. I know it's bad for my marriage. I can't stop. But you know, just when, when I finally get that enough money in my bank, that, then it's, it's the same idea. You say you're, you are, you're forgetting. He says, and what doers are, doers are rememberers. They remember. Right? That's what he says. Not, not forgetful. He looks at himself, he goes away and forgets. No, no, that's not a doer. A doer remembers. And again, 
here's my, here's my heart for this passage, because I was thinking about this this morning for myself. I'm thinking, please, Lord, I, I don't want people to come in here and this, oh, man, that's great. I needed to hear that. And we leave. I don't want CBC to be known as this church where, yeah, there's, there's, there's things happening over there, and they're building a building. Who cares if we're a bunch of jerks? Really? Who cares? Who cares if we're a bunch of lazy folks that go to work that just kind of go through life? Who cares if we're just selfish? I mean, really? No one. He says, look, look at verse 25. This is kind of the solution. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and that seems like it would contradict law and liberty. And it would be a paradox if it wasn't for the law of Christ, if it wasn't for him who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If it wasn't for the, the one who says, the one who comes to me is free indeed. He says, one who looks at the law of liberty, right? And what? This, this perfect law and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. What does he say? He will be blessed. Where does the blessing come from? Where's the satisfaction? Where's the contentment? It's from the doing. It's from the doing. And blessing does not mean rich. Doers are blessed. It doesn't mean rich. It doesn't mean have everything you want and the nice cars. What it means is that contentment and that joy and that satisfaction. Look, there is something about simple obedience that's just a blessing. I mean, there just is. When you just go to work Monday morning and you work your tail off and you do a great job, not just for the check, but for your Savior, knowing that you are representative of him, and you come home at 5.30, 6 o'clock, and you just feel like, man, that was a good day at work. That's something satisfying about that. I could have, could have bolted early. I could have kind of just pushed that off on that person, but I did it because of who I am. Man, there's something about that, about doing the project well, about, about pursuing excellence. There's something satisfying and joyful about you get a little bit extra back at tax time or you have a little bit extra over here and you know there's a need over here and you're able to just kind of anonymously or whatever, maybe you give to the building fund, maybe you pay that person's power bill. There is just something joyful about that where you get to do so. When you are a busy mom with 75 things going on and laundry piling up and you get the phone call, so-and-so's in the hospital, they need meals. And you're thinking, I don't even have Chef Boyardee for my family tonight. But you feel the spirit prompting, you need, to, you need to take them some spaghetti and meatballs or something. And you do it. And there's something that's a blessing about that. Just that simple obedience. Maybe you're, or maybe you're, that, you're up late at night, everyone's asleep, you're watching the Olympics, whatever it is, and you're flipping the channels, and all of a sudden that channel has something way inappropriate. And there's that, there's that temptation, there's that lure we talked about last week, and you turn off the TV and go upstairs. Man, there's something satisfying in that. Man, I, re I resisted the devil and he fleed. I think that's the blessing he's talking about. And then there's the ultimate blessing when you stand before Jesus Christ one day and he says, well done. Well done. That's what we want. Look, how good is it to dip that Oreo in that milk and mm, that's the hearer and the doer, right? That's the hearer and the doer. And that is how we were created, church, that you were created for good works that you might walk in them. That's what, that's what Paul tells us.
that God has given us his word, that he has written it on our hearts. He wants to bear fruit in it. And look, again, my prayer for this church is not that we would be super big and not that we would have the coolest facility or whatever, but that we would be a church that hears the word, not just Sunday mornings, that through the week, that we would be sensitive to the word and sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking, and then we're just out living our lives as missionaries for Jesus in Savannah and beyond. That's it. That's what he's called us to do, right? So as we move back into worship through singing, here's just two questions. Kind of contemplate, and you can pray, Steve, you guys can come on up. Two questions. Number one is this. What, have you, what do you know is right to do, and you're not doing it? I mean, what is that thing that you know this is not right, and you've been playing with it? That little lie your relationship with that person is not pure. Your finances, you're just blowing that up. What is it? Today's the day to deal with it, y'all. You are still beloved. Christ loves you, but this is an issue he wants repentance and fruit in. And so confess that today as we worship through singing and deal with it. And secondly, ask yourself this. What is noticeably different about your life because you're a follower of Christ from everyone else at the office and not because you carry your King James study Bible that weighs 37 pounds to the office. What is different about the way you live your life from every other American? And if you can't identify anything, James might have something to say about it. And we'll talk about that more as we get into chapter two. But that's important because when our faith is authentically lived out, we become hearers of the word, and we become doers.